We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And Oladipo wants it again. Approaching two minutes to play. With the left hand and authority. McKee gets it in the middle for the win. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode here of Setting the Pace on PacersTalk.net. And joining us is former Indiana Pacer, three-time Indiana Pacer, the one and only Thaddeus Young. Thaddeus, what's going on, man? What's up, man? How's everything going? Oh, it's it's going great. We're so glad to have you on Zoom here like the rest of the world as we are social distancing from the uh, universe pretty much. But, you know, during this off time, I just got to ask, you know, what is going on in Thad Young's world right now? Can you repeat that? I said, with everything going on, what is going on in Thad Young's world right now? Oh, man, I'm just at the at the house, social distancing with the family, making sure that, uh, you know, we're staying uh, uh, safe and, and healthy. Uh, got, you know, both of my kids where, you know, they're sitting right here in front of me uh, on their iPad and, and their laptop. My wife is sitting on the couch uh, having some lunch right now. Well, late lunch. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're just staying away from everybody and, and making sure we do our part. But, you know, also just uh, spending a lot of family time. I've, I've had to be the the, the math teacher uh, yesterday, and my <laughs> wife was the <laughs> was the English uh, teacher the other day day before. So, so we we've been kind of just schooling the kids at the house, but uh, also giving them uh, some time to be able to hang out with us and watch movies and uh, just you know do a lot of stuff that we we usually and generally don't get to do 
and having all this time you know, to ourselves. The family time has got to be precious. You know, this is a bonus family time that you typically do not expect during the NBA season. But, you know, at a time like this, what are you doing to kind of stay in game shape uh, while you don't have access to the practice facilities? I mean, are you telling both your kids maybe D up, maybe staying on each <laughs> other's shoulders and uh, get in the post? Or how does that work? I, I literally uh, probably like five minutes ago just uh, posted said uh, something about uh, young uh, family pickup games because uh, we were outside on the back uh, patio playing uh, basketball. And, you know, just say I got to get the workout in. But, you know, um, just trying to, you know, stay active and, and doing little things at the house. I mean, you know, it's only so much you can do, but, you know, you can do a lot of stuff with band workouts. Uh, if you have a treadmill or my wife has a Peloton bike, I'm actually probably going to start using her Peloton bike in a sec. Uh, try to try to get my cardio up a little bit more. But uh, other than that, just, you know, just trying to stay active and, and stay doing stuff. But it, it's also gave me a chance to focus on uh, a lot of different things that I was doing business-wise outside of basketball. Absolutely. That's awesome. Well, I got to ask you, you know, we're, we're still in limbo of what's going to happen with the NBA season. But of course, many fans are just excited for basketball to resume. I'm sure players are anxious for that as well. But when the league does resume, what are you anticipating happening? Do you think there'll be some more regular season games or what? What are you thinking? Uh, I mean, I know we don't we don't just want to let this the rest of the season go. I, I know mm -hmm. they um, for a fact they want to at least have uh some type of end to the season to go along with uh playoffs and and try to crown a, a champion for the right. for 2020. So, you know, I know that's one of the things that's definitely been on people's minds, uh, you know, as far as in the league office and, and in the league talking about it with different people. I know uh, everybody's been wondering and, and trying to see what's going on. So they've been, I think they've been bouncing a lot of different proposals off uh, the MVPA uh, and going back and forth and just trying to see exactly uh, what's the best course of action uh, as of right now? You know, um, I think the the matter of just keeping us uh, uh, safe and healthy and, and making sure that uh, if we do decide to go back to arena and play, or we do decide to start the league back up, that uh, is the 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 safest league that that there is. And, right. You know, that's one of the biggest things, just uh, the safety of the players and, and making sure that uh, if we are going to put a product on the floor, that you know. Um, you know, we don't contaminate that product with, you know, uh, people potentially ca catching the coronavirus and, and uh, uh, causing our own widespread within our own uh, small community. You know, while basketball is, you know, for instance, my life and a lot of other NBA fans' life, there is no basketball without our safe. There's no life without being safe right now. That's <laughs> got to be number one. But right. one thing that I was curious, you know, talking about your time with the Pacers, if you ask any Pacer fan, I feel like the common phrase to describe your time there and you is glue guy. Is that something that, you know, you really bought into right away? And maybe when was the first time you heard that term? Uh, I, I've always kind of been that uh, throughout the, throughout my career. So, uh, you know, it wasn't the first time I heard the term, uh, you know, former coaches that I've played for uh, organizations that I've played for. I was kind of say, I kind of kept everything together while I was out on the court. Uh, the guy who's willing to do all the small things that don't show up in the stat sheet and uh, kind of keep everything together. So, you know, um, you know that's kind of been, uh, you know, one of the the things that, that's kind of worked for me. I've kind of been a jack of all trades, uh, you know, uh, a really good player doing a lot of different things uh, where, you know, I'll go out if I'm not scoring the ball, where I rebound and I'll get steals. If I'm not doing those, then I'll be scoring. So, 
just doing a lot of different things, but uh, just trying to fill up the stat sheet in all different aspects. Yeah, well, I got to ask you, you know, you came to the Pacers, you know, I forget what year it was exactly. All my years run together. 2016, I believe it was. You know, we traded that pick to Brooklyn, and, you know, you've kind of been on different teams and not been there for a long time. So I just got to ask because I know a lot of fans were wanting to bring you back this summer. What were your thoughts going into the offseason? Did the Pacers let you know that they might be wanting to go a different direction? And lastly, I know it's a lot of lots of answer here, but um, would you have accepted a bench roll if they wanted, you know, to start Sabonis with Turner like they're doing now? Well, I'm, I'm accepting one now. So <laughs> Right, right, right. So, so you know, that, that wasn't the case. Uh, but, you know, when discussing it and, and talking with them, obviously, you know, uh, if – if I was coming off a, a great year and, you know, we've made the playoffs uh, three consecutive seasons that, that I've been there, uh, Vic goes down, we potentially, uh, you know, could be a 50-win team and and could, could make it farther in the playoffs. You know, if that doesn't happen, you know, it, it puts us in a different position. But, you know, for me, you know, uh, you know I, I go into the meetings and, and I'm saying, hey, you know, if they ask me to come off the bench, you know, Obviously, you know, it's not something I want to do. I thought I'd been starting. Right, <laughs> you know right. You know, so at the end of the day, you know, um, it was up for them to, to to make the decision. But I was all for coming back, uh, being a part of uh, uh, what we were continuing to try to build. Uh, those guys are still my brothers to this day. I still talk to Vic. I still talk to Domas. I still talk to Miles, uh, Ed, you know, TJ. So still talk to those guys all the time. Uh, but, you know, um, I think the, the – situation was really was uh you know they their hands were kind of forced you know uh, between uh us having a, a, a you know non-traditional big system where uh you have two very very good bigs <laughs> that that are very very young that can that are both capable of starting so you know their hands were forced and, and they had to make a decision and you know uh, it is what it is at this point you know and one of right. the biggest things is uh, you know being able to go out there and, and also play this game to take care of your family. So, you know, when you, you get a deal or you get a situation, you know, and it's, it works out better or it works out best or, you know, uh, it's something that you can't pass up, then you have to take advantage of those things. That's very true. And, you know, while we do know the NBA is a business, no one will ever fault you for leaving because we love <laughs> you during your time in Indiana. All Pacer fans feel, you know, the same way as it relates to, you know, your time there. But, Following a super close sweep to the Cavs and LeBron James, you know, Paul George ends up, you know, being on the move. You bring in, the Pacers bring in Victor Oladipo, Demontis Bonus, you know, Boyan Bogdanovich comes over. Vegas pegs the Pacers at 31 and a half wins. And in 2017, 2018, the Pacers come out, they win 48 games, a team that was so fun to watch. Were you shocked? to see maybe this team win 48 wins? Or did you know this could be the start of something special brewing in Indiana? Uh, well, so so that's funny. Like, right before – so right before the season, I, uh, I have a meeting with uh, uh, KP and, uh, and Chad, and we, we start discussing uh, the state of the team. Uh, you know, what, what do – they asked me, what do I expect the team to do uh, this coming year? And they, they were looking at me like, oh, wait, pump the brakes. And I was like, nah, we're going to be good. Like, watch, I'm telling you. So, so you know, we, we got together in August, um, which is probably before any team had got together. So we were just we were just kind of just together working out. Uh, actually, uh, 
playing uh, pickup games and making sure that we were, you know, we were all there as a team, as a unit. Uh, Vic was there. Uh, Domas was there, Miles was there, and, and we were just playing pickup. And so I walk into the meeting. I walk into the meeting, and I tell them, "Hey, I think we're gonna be really good this year. Like we're gonna we're gonna make the playoffs. We're gonna we're gonna be able to go out there. And we're gonna win forty plus games." And they're like, "Wait, we don't know what's gonna happen. Let's not get ahead of, get ahead of ourselves." And I'm I'm like, "No, I'm telling you, this is what's gonna happen. Like we have a very good team. All we have to do is go out there and play together." Right. Nobody's going to expect us to come into this season and be who we are. Um, you know, me seeing Domas, me seeing Miles, and me seeing uh, Vic, and how everybody's developing and going throughout the in the summer, and how all of us kind of just gelled really, really quick together. I knew exactly that, you know, we were going to be a very, very good team. And then you add pieces like uh, Corey Joseph, and you had uh, uh, Big Al, uh, Al Jefferson. Darren Collison right came over. Yeah, yeah Darren Collison. So, you know, just having those pieces uh, was like a common force for, for me because I knew I had some guys who actually could play and I knew I had some guys who were willing to actually go out there and play as a team. And I think that was one of the biggest things. We were willing to play for one another. And then when you get a guy like Bogey who's standing out there and, you know, and shooting and has the capability of putting, putting the other some big games, it puts us in a way better position. Yeah, no, that was a, it was a really fun team to see just develop throughout that season and really just – overachieve as a lot of people would say and we've heard Kevin Pritchard talk a lot about the the culture that he wanted to develop and you know we look at that team from the previous year that got swept by the Cavaliers in four games and it was I think 16 points total was the total margin of loss for those four games so I mean right there in all four games and Paul requests that trade now as a player I want to know what your thoughts were on the culture from the Paul George last season in Indiana to the you know the Victor Oladipo era of uh, Pacers basketball. Uh, I think so. My first that was my first year. So my first year, um, you know, we were there with uh, we had Paul and we had Jeff, we had Monte, uh, CJ Miles, uh, uh, Solomon Rod Hill. Uh, so no, Solomon wasn't there. Uh, Rodney Stuckey. Okay. Uh, uh, I think Solomon had just he just took a contract from uh, the Pelicans. So, oh, so that's he, right. The previous year. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we had Lavoy. Uh, Kevin Serafin. So that, that team right there, um, I would say it was full of uh, alpha males. So so practice could get pretty intense because we had a lot of guys who who were like alpha males. So guys who, who, who wouldn't hold their tongue or, you know, who was more on the aggressive side of things, you know, when you're speaking, you're speaking and trying to get something done. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I think with us having so many alpha males and, and not just having one voice, uh, that kind of uh, hurt us a little bit sometimes. But, you know, you go into that next year, you know, we had a lot of guys who were, who I wouldn't say is alpha males, but a lot of guys who were trying to prove themselves and prove that, you know, we all belong on the same team together, that we can go out there and win. So the, the culture was completely different. Whereas as opposed to the first year I was there, we were, uh, I think it was Coach Nate's first year as being the head coach. And then the second year was completely different because we had already uh, established what we wanted to do um, and what we what type of culture we wanted to have. So in coming in, we wanted to establish that position in the second year as opposed to what we, we were able to in the first year. First year, we couldn't do it because we had so many guys who, who they believed in the culture, and they but – you know, they still had their own separate agendas and own separate things that they were 
were into as opposed mm-hmm. to you having that second year with Vic and all those guys, we all had the same agendas and, and we all had a chip on our shoulder. And that 2017-2018 team just looked like they were having so much fun together. It was so fun to, to watch. And you end up taking LeBron and the Cavs to game seven. It was a hard-fought series. But I need to know from your perspective, maybe even the team's perspective, do you think the lack of the goaltend call on Oladipo's drive to the hoop <laughs> in game five may have swung that series a bit? Because if you get that call, that I think the Pacers are moving on in that series. Man, I mean, I, I think it. I think it does. Uh, I think it does uh, change the dynamic of it. But then uh, you have another situation in that game, that same game, where uh, I, I think I end up getting a steal or, or getting a, a deflection, knocking it off LeBron's leg or something like that on the dribble, and uh, they gave us the ball, and the ball really was supposed to go to them. <laughs> so, so it, it's a lot of different scenarios that could have happened. But uh, you know, I think position. Position-wise, as far as us going out there and playing, putting us in that position, uh, you know, we we had a lot of miscues and a lot of errors uh, going into that situation uh, as a team, and, and you know, it it was just the structure of us just being a young team in the playoffs, us being a team that uh that was just you know within their first year, that team that casting had been together for a couple of years and had been together for quite some time, so. Um, they knew how, how to be battle tested, and we were in, still in the learning process. Absolutely, yeah. It was uh, it was such a fun series, and you know, even that game seven, the, we had a chance. The Pacers had a chance to win that game. You know, just a few missed shots, and Tristan Thompson just coming in there and being dominant on the boards. But I mean, you shut Kevin Love down that series. Let's not forget that. <laughs> he did. Uh, fans were just going hype over that, and we still remember those days. But I've got to ask you, you know, just. Looking at the team the next year, without Oladipo going down with that injury, you guys bring in Wesley Matthews. You guys try to figure out exactly um, how to put this team together just to be competitive still, even though you've lost your your leader and your best player. So, you know, with Vic going down, how did your guys' mentality change of, you know, focusing on the end goal? Because at this point you probably feel, you know, in a sense that – things are going to be different, obviously. And you lose that guy that you feel could put you over the hump. Now you're in a different position. So what was that mentality like once you lost Victor? Um, well, I think once he went down, it, uh, it put us into a situation where, okay, uh, I kind of had to step up and just tell everybody, like, look, like he's not he's not coming back no time soon. So, you know, we got to go out there and we got to play for ourselves. Uh, and we all can do it. You know, it, it's, it's a matter of uh, – you know, a few guys just chipping in a little bit more than what they've been chipping in. Um, you know, me personally, I, I knew exactly in that game that I had to step up because, you know, you can see the demeanor. You can see um, how the morale of the team was down. So I was just like, all right, this is a game. If there's any game, like this is a game I need to step up. I think we were playing the Raptors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we ended up winning the game. But it was just a situation where, okay, you know, this was like the, the moment where the guys had to believe and had to had to figure out how we're going to do it on our own, as opposed to having Vic back. So we were preparing for him not to be able not to be able to come back out and play. So so in preparing for that, you know, I'm going to guys doing the the huddle. Hey, hey, this is the time where you need to step up. I'm telling Miles like I wouldn't be telling you this if if I didn't believe in you. I'm telling Bogey the same thing. I'm telling Domas the same thing. I'm telling DC. I'm telling. For it. Like I'm telling all the guys, like, like we have to put ourselves in a position to continue to win games without Vic. And 
you know, um, they all bought into it. And we continued to go through that season, continued to uh, build on what we were doing. I think we were in the, we were in the third um, spot at that time. And, um, you know, we had a, a couple up and down games. But, you know, I think what really hurt us was the end of the season. Uh, you know, when you, you end the season on the West Coast, I think we ended on the West Coast trip or we ended up playing most of the West Coast teams. So, mm-hmm. or teams that were, were top three teams in the East and the West. And that kind of hurt us a little bit because, you know, those guys had their superstars playing and they were battling for playoff spots. And, you know, we were, we were just, you know, our, our main superstar down. And, and we needed somebody that can actually finish the games and be able to go out there and uh, get buckets for us. But getting into the playoffs, you know, we play against uh, Boston and they have a Kyrie and we don't have our Vic. So, you know, Kyrie's putting up 14 in the quarter and we, we're dependent on, uh, you know, Bogey to take us to the promised land and put us put up put up his 14, 15 in the quarter. But, you know, you might have guys that, you know, they, they might – the, the defense might be shifted towards Bogey. So he can't put up the numbers because, you know, he's he's getting double teamed, so we have to find somebody else. And then just not having that capability from uh, anybody else on the roster that can go out there and put up numbers in a hurry, like, like a Kyrie Irving. So I think that's what really hurt us. Yeah, I mean, Vic's presence just being missed, I mean, that's tough. But everything that you described of what you were saying in the huddle is just – another reason, another thing that doesn't show up on the box score that shows just how valuable you are to a team. And two of the bigs that you mentioned before, Miles Turner, DeMontis Sabonis. I mean, what was it like to witness their growth? And what do you think they've improved, improved on most? Because both guys have, you know, really grown as players in the last few years. And I feel like you were there to see it kind of from the beginning to now, Sabonis, an all-star, Miles Turner in the running for Defensive Player of the Year last year. What has that been like? Uh, I mean, I think I think it was a, amazing for me to be able to you know play with them, but also uh, help them. Uh, you know, I think having you know uh, me on the team and then being able to go out there and and show them, hey, you know, this is what we need to do to win, or this is what we have to do to win. Getting them to understand, uh, you know, being able to think the game, being able to uh, go out there and position us and, and put us in a situation to where we can win games. I think that was one of the biggest things, but. Uh, with Domas, you know, uh, you know, he, he's, he's just a, a animal. He's, he's a physical specimen that can go out there and rebound the basketball and uh, go out there and play with the best of them. But he, his, his intelligence about the game, uh, you know, I think it helps take him to a whole nother level because he has the ability to pass the ball, make plays, uh, ability to step out and make jumpers here and there. But uh, most of all, he puts a lot of pressure on the defense when he's rolling into the paint. He knows that. So it put, and he has the ability to also play under control. With Miles, uh, he's more of a pick and pop guy. So just him understanding, he started to understand a little bit more when to pick and pop, when not to, uh, when to roll, uh, you know, when to, to roll into the middle lane and make the pass to the corner. I think the once the game, I think the one of the biggest things I kind of helped him with was the game slowing down. Uh, he, he said he used to say the game pace would used, would used to move too fast for him sometimes. So. You know, I would get him to just, you know, just slow down and just think about what he wanted to do first or already have what he wanted to do uh, before he actually catches the ball. Uh, so, you know, he, he, he I think, uh, learned the most from me because, you know, we spent a lot of time starting together and, and me being able to teach him while I was out there on the court. Uh, Domas, you know, uh, he learned a lot, you know, from us 
going against each other in practice and, and me uh, being physical and tough with him and, and just getting to understand what he what he had to do to, to work against other bigs in the league to, to be more successful. Well, I got to ask you because, you know, you played against this Pacers team a few times now in the season. And, of course, there's been a lot of injuries to the Pacers this year, so you probably played a different unit every time they've been out there. And I know you guys have been dealing with injuries yourselves. So, right. But when you've seen that Pacers team this year, what do you notice about them and what has made them so successful this season? Uh, I think uh, one of the things was they, uh, they, they, they did get more scoring mm-hmm. uh, as far as the ability to go out there and score the ball. Uh, so you had guys like uh, TJ Warren, uh, Brogdon, uh, those guys, they can they can score with the best of them. Uh, and then you 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 bring back Vic during the season. Um, you know he's still not at natural form, but he's a presence out there. And then uh, you know Miles has continued to elevate his game, but Domas takes him to a, no, a whole other level when uh, he's out there because of his ability to uh, pass. And then you, you have Lamb, who's uh, known as a scorer, known as a guy who can put the ball on the floor and get to the basket. But then uh, you add a uh, a pesky guard and uh, T.J. McConnell, yeah, uh, with that second unit, and then I think Doug has played uh, much better than he's played in the past. Uh, you know, with um, this team this year um, by getting more looks and being able to knock down more shots. So, you know, um, you know, one of the biggest things I think they they got better as far as scoring. I think that's one of the uh, what the league is really going to. But uh, they've been uh, able to kind of manage uh, playing. Uh, you know, some, some good defense, but, you know, it, it still could be better. But, uh, you know, when I was there, you know, we were a top five defensive team, you know, but right. uh, if they can find a guy that can, that can really, really anchor the defense uh, uh, a little bit better than what, what's been happening, then I think it, it'll push them to another level. Because I, I think where, where they're currently sitting at right now, like five, six, something like that, five. Right in like the four seed right now. It's, it's close okay. with, I think they were like tied or maybe a game up on Philly. For that four okay. seed. Well, we're okay. in fifth actually because Miami's four, Philly's six because yeah. they fell okay. quite a bit down. Yeah, Miami's yeah. just a little bit ahead of us. But people were saying we got to trade back for you, Thad. So <laughs> add you with all those scores we added. I think that's pretty good defense right there that we could be that we could definitely use. So uh, yeah. talk to your yeah, agent. I mean... Talk to your agent. We're waiting. <laughs> well, 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 KP and Chad, they 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 know they know the number. They talk to them a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so they they know exactly know exactly what the number is. So it is that that's definitely something that uh they can definitely talk about. But uh yeah, it it's you know, like I said, they they they're still a, a very, very good team. They're still a team that can go out there and be capable of doing something, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm very excited to see. I mean, we don't know if it's gonna be this year or not, but to see how this Pacers team finishes up now that you know Victor Oladipo is healthier, now that Malcolm Brogdon's healthier. Those those guys have been plagued by injuries most of the year. But, you know, that in terms of yourself, I'm a strong believer that every championship team needs a guy like yourself who can be like a locker room leader, take some guys under their wing and sacrifice a bit. But not everyone is capable of doing that. Is it hard to sacrifice a few points here and there and your so-called stats knowing when you're going towards free agency and that could impact your money? Or is it, hey, you know, there's a bigger goal here. I want to win a championship. I want to be known for more than just points and rebounds because when it comes to free agency some guys say hey this is a contract year I need to I need to get mine so in the end hey what's that sacrifice like I, I mean I think I think well one I think uh you said you said some some guys uh can't do it uh they can't 
they I think, can, I think, but they choose not to. Yeah, there you go. That's a that's the difference. I think mm-hmm. it's a lot of guys that can, and they, uh, but they just won't, you know, for the simple fact of what you just said, you know, it might be a contract year. It might be a year where they need to, they're trying to get traded. So they need to incre- increase their uh, trade value. Uh, they need to increase their uh, value going into free agency. So, you know, just a lot of different scenarios. Uh, for me, it's always been, hey, you know, if we're winning, then I look at it as if we're winning, everybody's going to eat or, you know, if if we're winning, then it's beneficial for everybody. You know, uh, you know, one thing for sure, the league, uh, all the teams around the league, all the GMs, all the presidents, uh, all the owners, they love winners, and and they they want to place their bets on winners. So, uh, what are they going to try to do? They're going to try to trade for winners. They're going to try to sign winners. You know, no matter what the the points is or what what the you know the numbers say. You know, you can you can shift and shape shift all of these analytical numbers to make them work in your favor, and then they can work. They can make them, you know, uh, be negative in your favor. So, uh, out of your favor. So, you know, the biggest thing is just going out there and just playing basketball. And that's what I try to go out there and do. I set up to just go out there and play a complete basketball game at all costs and try to help my team win at all costs. But you know, like I said, some some guys they don't think the same way, and if we can get everybody thinking the same way, then, you know, uh, you know, maybe, you know, things will uh, take a shift. But, you know, as of right now, you know, you, you have a lot of guys that have a lot of people in their ears and tell them what they need to do. And it's a matter of, if, you know, uh, you believing that you're the pro and you're going out there and you're going to do what you need to do in order for the team to win. Yeah. Well, I've got, I've got two questions here left for you. So I'm going to ask one before we wrap this up and, my biggest question right here is, you know, we've had a lot of fans back and forth uh, with their thoughts on Nate McMillan as a head coach. And people are like, oh, you know, he's, he, can, he can do a great job. And then others are like, ah, oh, he's not my favorite. But it seems like <laughs> most of the time the players really love and respect Nate. And so being a former player under Nate, what are your thoughts on, you know, him as a coach, as a person? And what would you say to those fans that are semi-negative about Nate? I mean – you know, he's he's had what uh, three or four different teams, different you know different uh, guys, so different structured tech teams. Uh, like I said, my first year was Jeff Teague and Rodney Stuckey and Monte. That's a you know that's a group of of, of different egos that he has to deal with. Uh, and then you have uh, you have a, a group that that for the second year is more along the lines of. Uh, you know, a group that wants to play together, play team-oriented basketball. That's all, all going to listen. And then you have a now you have a different group where it's a lot of scores, and you're trying to figure out how to play all these different scores. So I think he's done a great job of managing those those different teams that he's had to play with. And I think he's uh and and I think he's done a, a good job of managing how he's going to disperse out the minutes. So you know, uh, that's all signs of a good coach who can, who can manage those different egos, those different structured uh, type teams that he's had. And, uh, you know, I think he's done a very good job. I think, and, you know, for me being there, I had a lot of conversation with him because I was the captain. So I'm, I'm always every day <laughs> sitting in his office and, and we're sitting there going through different stuff and we're sitting there having conversations about the state of the team. Uh, how, how's the guys in the locker room are, you know, uh, I was kind of like the, the mediator between, the coaches, the team, and the front office. So, you know, and you know, it, you know, it, it was one of those situations where you know he he would always ask my opinion, and I'll tell him, and then we'll try to incorporate you know whatever I'm telling him into what we're doing. 
uh, just because he understood, you know, where I was coming from. And I think he, one of the biggest things was he, he trusted me as the, as the, the captain, as the leader. And uh, sometimes that's one of the hardest things for you to trust a lot of the different guys. And, you know, I think he put a lot of trust in me because he understood where I was coming from and where my heart was. And uh, it made us a better team, you know, because, you know, I was able to go in there and talk to him. And that's one of the biggest things for a good coach. He has to be receptive to his players and his, and his, uh, his leaders. And I think he was very, very good with that. My last question, I just want to know, how much would it mean to Thad Young to win an NBA championship? Oh man, it it would it would mean a lot. You know, it it would. You know, uh, I think for me, that's that's the most valuable thing. That's the most valuable piece. Uh, it would mean so much to me. It would, uh, you know, put me in a, a whole different uh, perspective on basketball, a whole different position. Uh, you know, and then one of the biggest things that's one thing no one can ever take from you. There's one thing they can they can never they can never say you wasn't a champion. You see what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. that's one of the biggest things when you you have that by your name, it puts you in a whole different pool, a whole different uh, spectrum, a whole different uh, cycle of guys, man. Because there's only so many that that's done it before. So definitely would mean a, mean a lot, mean a great deal for me. All right. So my last question here, uh, I'm going to ask about another player just because recently a couple. A couple of weeks ago, Sham Sharania came out and said the Pacers were in talks with Lance Stevenson about rejoining the Pacers. And so Indiana has just been uh, – the fans, at least, have just loved Lance. And so he came back your first year, I believe it was, uh, the final six games. The Pacers win all five or, the, five or six of those games to get to the playoffs. I mean, when his return against the Raptors, the place was electric. I was at that game. It was unreal. And then he's there for another season. The Pacers decided to let him go. He goes to the Lakers the, pre the, the previous year. So your thoughts on Lance as a teammate and what you saw as a player, how much the fans love this guy, I meaning what, what does he mean to this franchise in your opinion? As, I mean, it's just make, kind of a – go ahead. Come on, make him dance, Lance. <laughs> yep. Make him dance, Lance. But, uh, that's, my, that's my guy, man. He, he's a he's – a, a, Crazy, crazy individual. Uh, just uh, fun to be around. One of the guys that's uh, he's a tough. He's a he's a tough competitor. I, I would definitely say that. Uh, definitely, definitely wants to wants to win. Wants to go out there and uh, make sure he take care of business. But uh, also, he wants to look good too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, he does. Look, he wants to look good too. So, you know, but uh, you know, for him going out there and uh, being able to go out there and play with him, you know. Uh, you know, one of the biggest things for me was uh, him just uh, bringing – he brings a, a certain aura to the game, like a certain energy to the game. And he uh, he he gets you all hype, you know, because he, he's making these crazy passes. He, he uh, makes some crazy shots. Uh, he's dancing all over the place. So he puts us in a whole different uh, element when he, he touches the court. Right. And the fans know they're going to get something. So I, I think that it made us uh, ten times better when you know, he's bringing his energy and his fire to the game. And uh, I think that's one of the biggest things. He he should definitely go down and face the history because he he's done a lot for the franchise, and he's uh, he's helped put the franchise in a in a, a better position. And he's also uh, been able to go out there and uh, and succeed. You know, mostly for for most of his career with the Pacers. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so and he's been on some some very very uh, pivotal teams also. So that's one of that's one of the things also. 
And that is that is a reunion I think all Pacer fans want to see, as well as if there is any chance to bring you back, Thad, I'm telling you, we are all on board. So we'll, we'll reach out to Kevin and Chad for you. And uh, uh, other than that, I mean, I just really want to thank you for coming on today. It means a lot to us. And, uh, hey, you're beloved in Indiana all day, every day. Yes, sir. Thank you. What's going on, everybody? We are here to break down the Elite Eight of the Pacers March Madness Tournament. Yes, we are getting closer, and next week we will crown a champion with a special guest analyst to help us break down those games, but we cannot confirm who that will be yet because we are still pending on that status. But Fachi, in our first bracket, we have the 1997-1998 Pacers team that lost in seven games to the Chicago Bulls in the Eastern Conference Finals. Going up against the 93-94 team that lost to the Knicks in the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, who you got here, Fudge? Both Game 7s, might I add. So, teams that were both on the cusp of going to the NBA Finals. I'm still leaning 97-98 Pacers. I feel like a team that only the GOAT himself could dethrone and uh, could knock them off in the East. And I just feel like that team was so good. So good. The Pacers could have had a, you know, they could have really ran the East during those late 90s if it wasn't for just, uh, you know, a game here or there. So I'm yeah. leading 97-98. What about you? Yeah, and there, there's no question here. This is the 97-98 team. I mean, I went back and I watched game four and game six. The Both were Pacers wins, and they were both wins by three points, I believe it was. And maybe it was two points in the game four. But regardless, Rick Smith was unbelievable. In that mm-hmm. game six, he went 11 or 12, 11 of 12 from the field. Reggie only had nine points that game. Rick was at his peak at this point with the 97, 98 Pacers and 93, 94. He was still coming into his own. Plus you add the added depth on the bench with that 97, 98 team. He got Derek McKee coming off the bench, Jalen Rose, Travis best. You know, you got a little bit more uh, talent. And I tell you what, Travis Best, he hit some big shots in both Game 4 and Game 6. He drove on Michael, got a layup. He drove to the basket. Michael got uh, Michael was a little too slow because Best was pretty quick. Got a reach-in foul. Best goes up, knocks two free throws down to really help the Pacers extend the game. So, yeah, I, I got to go 97-98 here, Fosh, and I don't think there's any question about it. So you want to move on to the next bracket? Let's do it. Smother Chicken coming right up. Smother Chicken. We got the 2003-2004 Indiana Pacers, the 61-21 and team, going up against the 2012-2013 Pacers that took the Miami Heat to seven games here. Now, Fachi, what are your thoughts on this matchup? Man, this is a tough one uh, because these are both some really good Pacer teams. I mean, you're going with the franchise record in wins against a team that was – one win away from going to the NBA Finals once again. Those yeah. Game 7s. Oh, man, in this series, uh, I it's so tough because you're not going to have Granger in the 2012-2013 series right over there. I mean, that could give the 2003-2004 team the nod, a team that was you know top 10 in defense and offense uh, yeah. compared to the 2012-2013 team. So I'm going to lean uh, towards that 2003-2004 uh, team, the one seed. Ooh, Fach. Well, this is where I'm disagreeing with you here. I think we have an upset. I think the 2012-2013 Pacers with Paul George coming into his own, David West at his peak, Roy Hibbert at his peak, Lance Stevenson, that added bonus, you never knew what you are going to get, that wild card, but he was so good in that playoff series. 
And of course, George Hill, you know, he couldn't hit the big free throws, but he was one of those guys you could just rely upon to really help you. And if you look at that 2003-2004 team, yes, they went 61-21, and but of course, Detroit beat them in that in the Eastern Conference Finals, I believe it was, and that's the year they ended up winning the championship going up against the Lakers. And it just seemed like there wasn't enough physicality on that 2003-2004 team for mm-hmm. me personally. So I got to go 2012-2013 here. Maybe it's more recency bias, but it's just, I'm torn. I just I just feel like the 2012-2013 team was at a higher level peak-wise. And the, and the competition they were playing, you got to think, Wade, Bosch, and LeBron – or Chauncey, Ben Wallace, and Rashid with Tayshawn, you know, I, I think the Heat team was way better than that Pistons team. I, I agree with that. I mean, that Pistons team is, I mean, we got to also remember, they go to the finals the next year, and they're in the cusp of it for, for years. Um, so it was a good Pistons team, uh, kind of a little bit forgotten about now. But obviously when you're going against that big three of Miami, I mean, that competition is way better. So uh, that 2012-2013 team, very dear to me um, because just more recent. Uh, I feel like if you throw Granger on that squad, uh, flat out, I'm going 2012-2013. With, the, with you subtracting Granger since he was hurt, it's tough. I think that the 2012-2013 team, a little bit more of a modern style offense compared to 2003-2004. So I feel like, man, I mean, I could agree with you, but I'll, I'm torn. I think that's a series that – it's an ugly series. Both very good defensive teams. I think Rick Carlisle, much better coach than Frank Vogel, could sway things a little bit. But I can't disagree with you. But also, I think this might be a situation. Could agree to disagree. But wouldn't be surprised if 2012-2013 well, did pull it out. we got to break the tie somehow. So should we go to our voting committee and see what they picked? I think so. It's only fair. All right. So the voting committee of our uh, nine voters – Seven of them voted for the 2012-2013 team here with the upset. So only two measly votes for 2003-2004, Fachi. I mean, that's a pretty big slam dunk from our voting committee there for the uh, which team was better. It is, it is. I mean, a lot of different factors go into that. Obviously, the 61 wins. I mean, I've mentioned before on the previous podcast, I think if Jermaine isn't a little bit banged up or maybe if um, the Pistons don't land Rasheed Wallace, I think the Pacers go to the NBA Finals and face a Lakers team that is coming apart at the seam, things could have been different. But you know what? Hey, we can't play that game. It's all of a, you know, a what-if scenario. So I'm not mad with 2012-2013 moving on. I think the truth of the matter is here, you're just a little bit too emotionally attached to Jermaine O'Neal, and you feel like you can't pick against his roster. Is that fair? I, that could very much be true because that 2003-2004 team, I'm telling you, I was hooked on that team. <laughs> so I think I might be biased here a little bit. I mean, that that was like Jermaine's year, our test defensive player of the year. We're, we're hitting on all cylinders. Uh, just, hey, it's dear to me, but both teams, uh, I love them so much. They, they both were two of the best teams in Pacers franchise history. All right, Fachi. Well, let's talk a little bit now about the next bracket. We have the 1C 1999 Pacers uh, 99-2000 NBA Finals team going up against the 94-95 team that took the Magic to seven games. Uh, another situation where the Pacers went seven games in the Eastern Conference Finals. Lost against the Magic. Shaq, Penny, they just were too much. And then they had to face Shaq again in this matchup here for the Lakers. So, uh, Fachi, who do you got going on here? 
99-2000, you cannot pick against these NBA Finals, Indiana Pacers. I mean, it, it, like, just as you mentioned, the amount of Game 7 losses over here is just so unfortunate. And unfortunately, in the NBA Finals, the Pacers didn't make it to Game 7, but still a very hard-fought series against an MVP-level Shaquille O'Neal and a Kobe Bryant coming into his own. That 99-2000 team was finally the team that broke through, went to that NBA Finals, and they had the first-ranked offense when they did it. Coach yeah. Larry Bird. So uh, just a very special team that, man, all Pacer fans hold dear to them. And I love that starting five, Mark Jackson, Reggie Miller, Jalen Rose, Dale Davis, and Rick Smits. Yeah, at this point, Rose had replaced Mullen in the starting lineup. You had Mullen and McKee coming off the bench. Actually, I don't even know if McKee was still there. He might have been. I can't he was. remember. He was still mm-hmm. there, yeah. And yep. then you had Crozier, who actually played pretty well off the bench in that NBA Finals. You had Sam Perkins, who they picked up. Travis Best. I mean, you had a pretty mm-hmm. loaded squad there with a lot of experience. And, of course, like we mentioned earlier when we talked about the 98 team going up against the 94 team, it's just the experience and the depth and the coaching. And I think that all makes a difference. So I'm agreeing here with you. Moving on, uh, the finals team will move on. So lastly, in the Connecticut water bracket, we have the number one 2013-2014 Pacers Going up against the Brawl team here. And now the Brawl team was a three seed, and they made it to the Elite Eight. And they upset the one and only 98-99 team that lost to the Knicks in the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, After the terrible Larry Johnson call earlier in that series, it kind of shifted the momentum. But Fachi, you know, you got a Pacers team that really limped their way to the Finals going up against a team that, you know, cost himself a championship possibly with only like seven or eight games into the season. So what are your thoughts here on this? Man, that 2013-2014 team, what I loved about that team was expectations Expectations became winning a championship. Mm-hmm. So that's what I love. They made the moves that unfortunately did not pay off. You bring in Evan Turner. You bring in Andrew Bynum. I mean, things start to unravel a little bit. That team played some hard-nosed defense, ranked number one in the league in defense. I felt like they strengthened up the bench. Um, that brawl team, what people need to factor in is Ron Artest was suspended for 73 games and the playoffs. So he would not be active in this situation. That is enough to sway me to go 2013-2014 because without Artest, that Pacers team, they're lacking a little bit. I mean, they were outed in uh, the second round to Detroit. Uh, Unfortunately, that was the end of Reggie's career. I'm going 2013-2014. Yeah, I agree with you here too, Fodge. This is the only one where, I mean, if Artest is healthy – Mm-hmm. Well, now it's a totally different discussion, and I think the seeding is a little bit different. I don't know where exactly the broad team would be if they were the number, if they were healthy the whole year, and if they had no suspensions. Because you got to think they might have, you know, went past the sixty-one win Pacers the, from the previous years. So, yeah, this is a tough one. I get why people are so enamored with that broad team because they, you know, everybody talks about them. But I agree with you. I mean. Even though Roy Hibbert was starting to fall off a cliff, he was he was still pivotal that entire season. Mm-hmm. We've talked about the moves that Larry Bird made in the past podcast where we don't like the additions and the trading of Granger for Turner and Bynum and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, I give Bird credit for trying to make moves to get this team over the hump. He knew that That's he was ask. going up against the beast of a team in Miami, and so he was trying to go above and beyond, and maybe it was a move too many, but hey, do we really believe that that Pacers team was going to beat that Heat team? 
even if you had a healthy Bynum and a oh, healthy man. Granger, it's it's still a question mark. So yep. this one to me is just kind of up in the air. But I think overall, Paul George, that game five, he would have been the best player in that series in that game, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Ron might have given him some trouble, but like we said, Ron was injured. So you're putting Steven Jackson up against him or a, a 40-year-old Reggie Miller <laughs> at that point <laughs> in his career. Yeah, give me 2013-2014 in a close game, in a close series. Uh- I think so. I mean, like I mentioned before, the 2013-2014 team, but they bolstered up that bench. I mean, with like Evan Turner, Lavoy Allen. I mean, just guys that they had just really tried to bring in. Luis Scola, who, you know, I voiced my opinion on. Didn't think he really stepped up to the occasion, but that's a, that's a, a story for another day. I just felt like that Pacers team was locked and loaded to go for it all. If that brawl team, I think everybody thinks about the what could have been and that's enough to for them to say, hey, that team, if that brawl doesn't happen, wins a championship. But the fact that it did kind of affected things. Like no Artest, it, you're not getting, you're not going all the way without Ron Artest on that squad. He just meant too much to that team. Yeah, there's no doubt about it, Fotch. Well, we want to thank everybody for checking out our episode today of Setting the Pace. You can follow Fachi at underscore F-A-C-C-I. I'm at Alex Golden NBA. You can always follow us on Twitter at Setting the Pace 3 and, of course, on Instagram at Pacers Talk. So until later, peace out, Pacer Nation. Let's go, Pacers. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com